The programme which follows is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. You're listening to Very Loose Women. Hi, and welcome to Very Loose Women. This is an episode from our archives broadcast on the 2nd of July 2014, the day before Laurie Penny's book, Unspeakable Things, was published in the UK. She joined us in the studio. I really like that song. Yeah, that was wonderful. <laughs> I've never heard... I just like to point out the band's called The Circle, written C-Y-R-K-L-E, an alternate spelling, obviously, oh, of Circle. Because <laughs> um, it's, it's a band name from the 60s. That's oh, yeah, very I trendy. guess so. Um, so, we're really excited to have Laurie on the show, and we thought we'd start off by saying... On, um, in her book, she talks about a kind of embarrassing rejection episode. So we thought we'd start by talking about um, some embarrassing rejections. Romantic that we've... rejection. Oh, yeah, sorry. A, 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 an embarrassing romantic <laughs> rejection episode that we've all experienced ourselves. So mm-hmm. does anyone want to start with an embarrassing episode in their lives, rejection-wise? So I was seeing someone and I, you know, we only really spent time in clubs or bars um, or occasionally around my flat, which was conveniently located next to the university um, bar. And it got to the point where I was kind of like, you know, it'd be quite nice to come to your flat and meet your flatmates and, you know, hang out. And he said, yeah, I mean, I would I would have you around the flat, but it just, just feels too close to home. <laughs> That's pretty bad. Darling. Um, I've got one, which is just that I kissed a boy in a club once. Oh, I oh, a boy in a really? club once, and um, immediately Stand after down. us having a snog, he said, "So um, that was just a random pull, right?" And then kissed someone else. <laughs> oh, no. But I mean, I, I was like, "Yeah, right, it was." Obviously, so it was you played it cool. Dignified response. I've got one that kind of preempts rejection rather than is rejection, but <laughs> a preemptive proto rejection. Yeah, someone. Um, I know, um, like years, I was like 18, 17 or 18, but she said, the, the great thing about you is that no one will go out with you for your looks. <laughs> like you'll, know that, you'll always know that someone's not just going out with you for your looks. Yeah, that's, I, think, I think it came from a kind-hearted place. I mean, I spent most of my adolescence being sort of rejected time and again. I mean, I chasing people I think maybe I enjoyed the chase but often the chase was not never led to fruition it wasn't being enjoyed by them. I once physically chased someone down the station oh. platform onto the train there is another word for that <laughs> <laughs> I think if you're like it, a 12 year old girl, girl you yeah. with it somehow I, 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 I got street harassed by a 12 year old girl oh. a couple, about a, a, last year I was in New York and this little girl was walking down the street like, with a group of older but I think she was one of their sister or cousins or something she was much littler than them she was on a skateboard and um and she she followed me down to the house i was going to and then she started yelling hey cutie pie hey hey have you got a boyfriend and i was like i was literally i have no idea what to do in this <laughs> like, situation was she coming on to you do you think well, she, no, was, like, she, but she was like repeating the language yeah. of like well, what guys say in the street or what maybe her big brothers say in the street and this is, she followed me up to this house I was going to she's like hey do you have a boyfriend do you have a boyfriend and I was like oh. no and she said oh okay 
Oh, skated away on her skateboard. Well, you had it was that so well, great. Yeah. It was like, oh, <laughs> I'm really not sure what that was about. She was back herself. So was that what you were doing? Hey, yeah. cutie pie. One, <laughs> pretty much. I probably wasn't that alluring, to be honest. Oh. <laughs> no, I just, I, anyway. Well, anyway, we've obviously all been rejected rather embarrassingly and amusingly. So mm. good. Um, so we wanted to ask you, you've just... Well, your book, Unspeakable Things, is about to come out. Mm-hmm. What inspired you to write the book? Well, um, I actually ended up writing a very, very different book from the one I was contracted to write. Cause, oh. uh, no, it was, it's a, it was an interesting process, really, because I got the contract way back in 2010 when I was just gone 24. I'm 27 now. And um, it was uh, a, a real long shot, and it was before this sort of wave of feminist publishing. Uh, but by the time I got the contract, I was kind of in the middle of the student occupations and just starting to you know, become much more political in my reporting and my writing. I've always been political, but it was a much more sort of left-wing turn to the work I was doing. And um, I was like, well, bollocks. You know, uh, I really don't agree with the book I've pitched. So, you know, and I I spent the rest of uh, the next two years of running around the world, uh, coming back into the editor's office every six months saying, sorry, I haven't written your book yet. I'm still figuring that out. And then um, last year it was very sort of watch tapping. We really need this now. Um, And so I put together a book. Uh, based, I, I sort of, after a while of uh, thinking that I would have to write, you know, a very dry manifesto type, this is what socialist feminism should be all about, um, uh, I then came back a lot to, to some of the personal writing that I, um, that I think they had originally wanted more of that for me, it's sort of a junior version of how to be a woman, how to be a, mm-hmm. a, a slightly younger woman, um, with you know, which is you know, it, it, which I mean, I love that book; it's great. But I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm trying to do something different here. Um, so uh, it was a, it was an interesting, um, an interesting sort of process of putting that together, which was kind of a lot more involved than uh, than I think a lot of books are in the making. But it was, uh, it was, I'm glad I waited. Actually, I'm glad I got... And, and a lot of the things that I write about in the book, like the kind of embarrassing rejection episodes <laughs> and uh, various love affairs happened in that time in between. Although it's not a... Um, I mean, as you know, having read it, it's not a, uh, a purely you know, story of my life mm. book. I've picked a lot of... Um, I've just picked incidents which are kind of the story of how I got my politics mm-hmm. and there's a lot that's missing out. I actually went through there was a, there was much more sexy gossip in there. <laughs> and then I went through you know I went through during the last editing phase and going I better cut some of this because it's just it's not necessary really it's just gossip enjoyable it's enjoyable gossip I did I mean I sent it to a couple of friends including friends who were in it and um, have uh, have had comments back saying look I really love this this is funny and sexy but I'm not quite sure why it's in here <laughs> okay I just wanted to write some sexy gossip but no so, that's a different book when you first pitched the book mm-hmm. what like, what was that pitch compared to the kind of finished um, book that we've all been lucky enough to read? Um, I, I almost can't remember now. I mean, I think <laughs> the, the original book was called Girl Trouble, um, which is funny because actually there's there's now another book called Called That that's come out this year, which uh-huh. is is apparently very good. Um, but it's, it's it's about the um, and that book is about the. Um, 
the history of badly behaved young women and media scares. Um, but that, um, the, the original pitch was much more, you know, a straight book about young women and media culture, whereas this one is much more sort of punky and wide-ranging, and it's about young men as well, and it's about gender as a, as a whole, um, rather than just, uh, in just focusing on sort of women and media and um, which of course is a massive topping in itself but this book is both both more ambitious and more vague so <laughs> <laughs> Great. do you think having the project in front of you has helped you develop your kind of i guess a more conscious a, a greater consciousness about your politics like did that bring about in a way the evolution of your thinking in that respect oh, yeah absolutely and, and it's a really good question i mean i've uh it's always been difficult. Like, I've tried to write this three or four times, and, and I spent much, much... As It's not the longest book in the world. It's only 300 pages, but you know, I spent ages drafting and redrafting just because I wasn't sure what to do with this contract that I had. Yeah. I mean, I thought for ages that I wouldn't do it as well. I'm sorry if um, my editor is listening to this. <laughs> you probably know, but... Um, you know, and I, and I didn't you know, I didn't spend any of the, the advance I got because I was like, I'm going to have to give this back someday <laughs> because, like, it's not... It's it's not real um but uh yeah it was um an interesting thing you know focusing on that because of course i think um if you've ever been involved in uh, leftist movements it's easy to feel that um you know there is one enormous struggle and that your own personal issues or not necessarily personal issues but things that you care about like say Feminism and queer politics and anti all the things that people who are white straight guys call identity politics and the rest of us call politics. Um, you know, it's easy to feel like that stuff doesn't matter and is trivial and that's a viewpoint that's backed up by a lot of people in those movements and I think for a while I sort of thought, well, you know, feminism is great um, but it's not the really important thing here, is it? It's something, and I, and I lost a lot of confidence because of that and then actually um, in the past two years in particular it's become increasingly clear that actually this is this is where the cultural change is happening right now, and this is where the uh, the massive sea change in, um, in in how we think about how our lives are organised is happening, and, um, and and that's that's been great. I'm really glad I waited for that um, because it's it's given me a lot more confidence to be extra, especially radical in some of the things I say. You've just grabbed my knee. Yeah, actually. <laughs> <laughs> It was an accident. Oh, it was a brush. Like, oh, so embarrassing. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, it wasn't Maybe on purpose. I wouldn't imagine on this show of all shows that I grope our guest. Um, I'm not uh, complaining. <laughs> um, okay, so I guess you, oh, I've just got so many questions. So, kind of, what kind of new perspective do you think you're offering on what you're talking about? Well, um, Part of the point of this book is that it's it's not necessarily a happy book, um, and there there are happy, funny bits in it, and, I'm, and I hope that I end on a kind of hopeful note. But I think a lot of the um, of the feminist writing I've seen, particularly in book form, has been very much focused on the um, there's a list of complaints, and then it's like, oh, but it's all right, really, because you know you can get married and you can have a career and it'll be fantastic. And actually, that's sort of for me that's been the big divide between say the feminist and and gender political writing that happens in books and the stuff that happens on the internet, which is really where like which is where my a lot of my writing sort of developed and comes from and, and, and some of this book, a small amount um, it comes from blog posts that I've put out online 
um, because what I've been seeing in books is substantially less radical than all of the you know much more organic, fast-moving uh, gender and feminist work online, and um, I'm much much less aware of, uh, much less angry as well, mm. much less kind of aware of fast-moving issues. And I feel like a lot of the stuff that that I say in this book may come across as as really quite radical for people who who have no idea about that kind of online feminist world but for some of the people who who do who will read this this will be it'll be much more familiar i guess well i think that leads like directly into what i wanted to ask which is kind of like who i guess who's the intended audience for your book like who do you think is actually going to buy it but also if you have a choice like who would you ideally like make read it almost who would you want to read it well look um i have purposefully kind of taken a lot of the jargon out of the language, right? Mm. I think it's really, really important to write in, in an, if you're doing any kind of political writing and or any kind of non-fiction, it's really, really important to write in a way that's accessible. Not that, not that people are stupid, but a way that's like fun and enjoyable to read and you don't have to go to a reference. Because so many books, you know, I came counted when I was studying English at uni, um, like, you know, Gender Trouble by Judith Butler. Um, I, I thought that was brilliant and I thought the ideas in that were fantastic and I also really, really wished I'd had it given to me and been able to understand it when I was 14 years old. And so I guess that whilst it's written in a way that anybody who doesn't necessarily have a big grasp of gender theory um, will be able to read and enjoy it, um, I guess the intended audience is sort of uh, is really teenagers. You know, my, my ideal reader, I guess, is a really smart, excited 14 to 17-year-old or around that age. And that that's kind of... I think everybody, even if it's meant for, for everyone, I think everybody pitches it, you're right, at, at, at somebody. And in some ways it's also the book I feel like I needed when I was 17. Um, yeah, it's uh, and and which is part of the reason I, I I really wanted the cover to be cool. Like, you know, it's what a I mean? very cool cover. It is a, a cool, cool cover. cover. It's like, it's, it's got a zip. It's really it's kind of goth. I like the little actually. um. The little oh, was that L- was an LP? The little LP. LP. I had nothing to do with the cover actually, and it's br- <laughs> it's brilliant because nearly everybody I I know who's done any kind of book at all related to gender or something that relates to women or girls has had a fight with the publisher was like no pink on the cover no tits on the cover Mm. no silhouette of a woman silhouette of a woman silhouette of a half naked woman turning away I was like they're going to do that and it's going to be awful and so I was all like prepared you know for that big fight and they came up with that first time and I was like oh well fine then well well, I I guess that will do who came up with the tagline Sorry. Um, that was me. Sex, right. lies, and revolution. I had a small problem with the cover, which was just that it's really matte, and I was eating <laughs> yeah. some pom bear and like had greasy, yeah, greasy fingers in the pom bear. I feel sister. like it has it has picked up on it. That is the trouble with the matte cover. Five percent oil. Yeah, as we, as we found out, <laughs> we're eating them. They're twenty five percent oil. I don't know what they are delicious. Air. They melt on your tongue. I love a pom bear. potato. But I don't. I don't like. I had a boyfriend once who. Was I mean he was he was lovely lovely boy and also quite wet and um, <laughs> and and he would not um but he wouldn't he he wouldn't eat anything he was so sensitive that he would not eat anything that was either like anthropomorphic like he oh, couldn't wow. eat he couldn't eat um, <laughs> jelly babies, any, uh, jelly babies uh, you know uh, chick dinosaur chicken shapes gingerbread man like he would cry <laughs> if you made it I once brought him by mistake a chocolate Santa and he was very very oh, upset no. I don't want to admit though he wouldn't eat like the dinosaur like 
turkey-shaped no, food. Whatever, no, no, like, would he eat turkey in general? Yeah. Oh, so he would eat meat. He just didn't like. Yeah. <laughs> well, he That's didn't like. Odd. He didn't like anything that was. Oh, he also didn't like things that were miniature versions of something else. <gasps> I love Wait, miniatures. I'm like like miniature, I love miniature miniatures. Pies. I kind of get all of this. I don't yeah. agree with it, but he I. He was get a it. lovely person in every way. But um, like, I, I, I actually think it's amazing how wide a range of food stuff that does rule out. <laughs> like when you think about it, there's quite a lot of. Like, you know, animal, I do find oh, animal min- crackers. Mini burger is a weird concept oh, to me. Yeah. What's that? The yeah. point. The. Inj- what you enjoy about a burger is just eating loads. Um, but slightly back on topic. Wait, no, Wait, really, we do that. What if it's like? What? Go on. What everyone are you to going it? to say? What I've got a big like question coming. A up? chip or a, or a piece of beef, and it's accidentally in the shape of like a small person. That is quite meta. Well, that's accidentally, when you see that's Jesus in a crisp. Yeah, I mean, I love I, that. But you would never. Oh my god, like, you would never like, you'd sell it to the newspaper. Food iconography. Like mm. accidental juice in the crisp. Did you ever see the Condoleezza rice cake? <laughs> I love that. What? That was really funny. It was on eBay. Like someone was selling a rice cake with it, like Condoleezza rice. <laughs> um, you um, had a question. I have a question. Let's go. Yeah, I find it really interesting that you said that your kind of ideal audience was teenagers. Yes. Um, because I, um, what you were also saying about for some people it being um, a radical book yeah. or ideas in the book that, um, radical. And um, one of the things that really leapt out to me was um, the way that you talk about how sex is portrayed in popular mm. culture and how we're kind of, we, so at least our generation and presumably generations before and maybe mm-hmm. um, kids growing up today, how we perceive sex and even though we're so much more open now there's still that kind of kind of shameful aspect it's embarrassing you don't necessarily yep. talk about it around the dinner table loads um, and how we need to have a kind of sex education that is much more open and you talk a lot about um, sex and uh, relationships and the way that people interact mm-hmm. with their partners being you know not just being a kind of conformist model um, but you do also talk about this idea of um, that fitting into a kind of patriarchy yep. as a whole and I just wondered if you could expand on that because that's quite that's an idea that maybe young kind of teenagers growing up wouldn't necessarily have an idea of what a patriarchy is and how that fits yeah. into their sex education. Yeah, teenage boys and girls, I think it's um, and and everyone else obviously are. Um, I think people have a problem with the idea of patriarchy because when people hear that word, they think, oh, it means men are always powerful and always more powerful mm. than women. It's not. Patriarchy literally means the rule of fathers. It means um, not the rule of men. It means the rule of, you know, a few incredibly powerful, um, rich, usually white guys at the top of the food chain and uh, everybody else everybody else at the bottom. It's a structure in which male privilege, not necessarily male power, is disseminated and keeps everyone in control. So ev- everyone controlled. So um, part of patriarchy is gender policing of young men. No, homophobia mm. as well. So, um, you know, young men can't behave in certain ways, can't be emotional in certain ways, or wear certain things uh, because otherwise they're gay or they're sissy or you know they're not real men. All those ideas of what it means to mm. be a real man—they are part of patriarchy too. And I think um, a lot of uh, one of the reasons I write so much about relationships in this book um, are bec- is because um, I think it's. It's where a lot of people encounter gender politics on a day-to-day basis and where a lot of people, a lot of people's ideas about what men and women are, even if they're not straight, because we all live in the same society which is governed by these very rigid models of what men and women are to each other. And um, 
and it was brought back to me actually reading all those um, those men's rights forums, which is kind of you know I read them so you don't have to, um, <laughs> kind of you know uh, I do do research into them as part of my work, and and all of it was about heartbreak. All of it was about. Um, oh, you know, this girl, girl's always rejected me and why can't I get a girlfriend? It's also, why can't I get a shag as well? It's why can't, you know, I have all these things. And But then, um, and all the all the propaganda that you see from, you know, women, glossy women's magazines to uh, all these internet forums, they're all about, you know, how to be a good girlfriend, how to get a good girlfriend, how to, you know, how to conform to these models so that you will be loved. Because it, it's based on that very kind of those vulnerable intimate aspects of of yourself and that bit that wants to be safe and fears being alone and fears not fears like social and sexual rejection is uh, that's it's deeply political but it's really hard to talk about because it's often embarrassing and sad and it makes you feel vulnerable even if you are you know in a relationship and happily do you think there's a kind of matriarchy (laughs) so i don't know i i kind of see how that links into kind of patriarchal and society like particularly mm-hmm. um kind of say um older boys telling yeah, yeah. younger boys how to behave but there, there is also that pressure maybe from your kind of the female figures in your life do you always link that back to them kind of telling you you, you know grow up and wear makeup do your hair this way and um, those kinds of ideas always is that always linked back to how they're behaving in relation to oh, men yeah. or is it separate is there just kind of pressures that come from women to other women oh, well, well that's exactly it's it's um that's why it's important to say patriarchy rather than saying men because it's not mm. always men i mean sometimes when you're fighting the man in with in capital letters you're fighting a woman uh it's not there is a lot of internalized sexism particularly between generations and a lot of it is incredibly well meant as well like when you know uh, female relatives tell you either you know you better make yourself look pretty or you won't get a husband you won't get a boy Boyfriend, or you know, don't go out dressed like that. Don't walk down that street. Don't act in that way, or you will be attacked. You'll get raped. They're not saying that because I mean I don't know what kind of relationship you have with your female rela- relations, but they, they're not saying that because they hate you and they and they think that being a woman is bad. They're saying that because they want you to be safe and they want you to be okay. And it's done. You know, a lot of this is passed down out out of a desire for. It to enable younger women to be able to negotiate a sexist society successfully. But, I, I mean, one of the points I make in this book is that there really is no way to do that and win. Mm. You're always losing something. Um, it just, yeah, it just reminded me the other day in the staff room, a lot of women at my school were talking about um, basically how to kind of get your husband to do stuff you want. So like, oh, oh ask him at this time, you know, ask him when, when he's watching the football or pretend that you've said this or like ask him when he's really happy, you know, oh like all these kind of things. And do you think that's also part of patriarchy then? You know, like, I mean, I don't know. That's kind of some sort of sexism. What? Right? Um, but is that... Manipulating but like, your husband. But, you know, like women thinking that like there's a, you know, men are kind of so stupid that we can do this to them and having this, this way Lazy of like fooling them. Yeah. Or is it like, you know, or do you think those women are just kidding themselves and really they're still kind of feeding so into I these? I actually think the stereotype of men as lazy is 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 a double blind because uh, uh, the, the the idea that we all buy into the, uh, the notion that men are lazy is kind of a cover up for the fact that men just don't want to do work around the house. They're not lazy. They do loads of work. Um, they just don't want to do the boring house 
housework, and that's why women have to do it, right? It's it's just, it's a basic question about division of labour. Um, it's uh, I don't think men are any lazier than women are. I think everybody is overworked in this society. It's just about I mean Judith Butler again says it's not about um, it's not about the right to equal uh, equal pay for equal work. But it's about the right to equal work itself. And of course, it's these age old battles to over who does the washing up, who takes care of the kids. Yeah, but I guess that works in a negative way against men as well. I mean, if you assume that women are going to take care of the kids and men who want to take care of the kids don't really get the opportunity, you know, in terms of things like, as you know, we always talk about this for some reason. Well, not for some reason, paternity leave, you know, you're getting two yeah. weeks off and that's not really fair either. You know, I Oh, yeah, it's but it's, just, not, you know. it's not women who are stopping men having paternity leave, is it? Like, it's not like there aren't hordes of women out there saying, please give us, no, please don't give us paternity leave. So we're the only ones who can take time off for our kids. I think a lot of, you know, of partners where there's a male and female partner and with a young baby, they'd love to be able to take um, child leave, to, to take um, paternity, maternity leave together. I think the idea that um, I just I reject this idea that. Um, that sec- it's like there's a there's a finite amount of gender equality in the world, and if one group has more, the other group must have less. Like if, if there's some sexism against men, that must mean it evil it evens out. And it's no, I, no, I no, don't no, no. I know, I know that's yeah. not what you're saying. Absolutely, I know that's not what you're saying. But I often, when people say these things to me, I'm like, it just doesn't work like that. It's not a scale. But yeah, I agree with you on the paternity leave completely. Um. <laughs> On a completely different. Oh, sorry. Lucy, oh no, I, I was just going to say. I think it is very interesting. I think we all subtly mm. buy into these roles that are set out yeah. by society subconsciously because we do conform to social expectations mm-hmm. every day, and some of those are gendered. And actually, you have to be very critical. I think, and critically aware of, of the society in which you live to even begin to question kind of yeah. some of the thing, some of the things that shape you. But I was going to say, I think the the fact that this book has come out kind of in mainstream publishing as opposed to on the web whereas you were saying a lot of Mm. the more radical stuff is being developed it's quite an interesting statement in and of itself the fact that there's a market potentially for this kind of material is I'm really encouraged actually because I didn't think I would be allowed to say half the things I say (laughs) (laughs) it's uh, yeah it's it's, it's alright are we do you have time for one final really quick question yeah Yeah, yeah, go go on on, then why not Um, great okay Right. The, so when I was reading the book, the bits that I really most enjoyed were, and I hope this doesn't come out in the wrong way, when we kind of talked into your own personal experience in quite a lot of depth. So you talked a lot about um, kind of recovering from anorexia yeah. and things like that. And I think that it's really important to kind of share those personal mm-hmm. stories as well. And it's you know, really helpful for people to read. Um, but I wanted to kind of ask you, how much do you think you can kind of extrapolate from your personal experience to other people's experience, especially on things like an eating disorder? Like, do you... You know, do you feel like you can extrapolate and, and kind of speak on behalf of other people? Yeah, well, of or? course not. Yeah, it's it's a really important question. Of course you can't extrapolate stuff, everything from your own experience. Like I said, this is not the story of my life as an exemplary thing. Of course it's not. I mean, I'm a white, middle class, mostly straight, queer girl. You know, I'm not like... It. And the idea that there is any default experience is dangerous. It's just the story of how I got my politics um, in, in a, interwoven in into, you know, the more polemic straight ranty stuff um, so yeah it's 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 meant to be storytelling as illustration rather than example yeah. okay that's brilliant yeah. Nice. yeah thank you very much good night nice. nice. thanks, thanks Laurie thank thanks you. so much <laughs> this program was brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM 
Visit our website at resonancefm.com to hear our vast range of original 24-7 broadcasts. Resonance is a not-for-profit broadcast platform and relies on public support. If you like what you've heard, make a secure donation at resonancefm.com.